We are in the season of Passover. Nissan began a couple days ago, right? Nissan won. The beginning of months for us. This is our new year. This is the begin. This month number one. This is January, if you will, for those who believe in Jesus, right? So this is when I celebrate my new year. So happy new year, everyone. Hallelujah. It's going to be a good new year. It's going to be a good year for all of us. I believe that. <clears throat> so I'm starting a Passover series. And what I want to do today is I want to start with kind of the intro to Passover, kind of do a broad overview of Passover. Then we'll get down into the weeds as we get into the season and the weeks ahead of us to talk about this. It's an important uh, celebration. In fact, Passover is an eight-day spring celebration, eight days, an octave, if you will, that commemorates the Most High God graciously delivering an enslaved and oppressed people out of Egypt and making them his very own treasured people. The sages foretold that this ancient event was a type and shadow of a greater Passover that would come with the Messiah. They said this Passover Seder that we're doing, all that goes into it, all of the memories, all of the types and shadows is actually pointing to something greater that's still coming. So, so as we have done this, these seders for hundreds and hundreds of years, they're pointing us forward to something greater, a greater Passover, if you will, that comes in our future with the Messiah. And we, we who know the, who the Messiah is, right? Jesus, the Messiah, we celebrate the fullness of Passover. See, this Passover that Messiah would inaugurate would be one that sets us free from a spiritual kingdom of darkness, from a kingdom of slavery to sin and shame. This new Passover would open up the doors of the kingdom so that we could enter into the compassionate, merciful rule and reign of God. So we'll commemorate, or commemorate, we'll commemorate both the old and the new Passover as we exalt Yeshua the Savior of the world. He is deserving of this biblical festival. So in this series, we're going to take a look at the first great Passover and the second greater Passover in Yeshua the Messiah. And today we're going to begin this intro by starting with the first one, all the way back to the days of Moses. As we get there, let me just say, that Passover is our number one greatest springtime spiritual celebration, bar none. What Easter is to Catholics, what Easter is to Catholics and their Protestant daughters, Passover is to Israel and those Gentiles who were grafted into her through faith in Jesus. You see, Passover is the origins of redemption. All of the central and core meanings are revealed and illuminated in the Passover Exodus. And all of those central and core meanings find their fullness in Jesus the Messiah in his final Passover on earth. What he gave us was the second and greater Passover to commemorate the redemption from slavery to sin and shame. 
misery and alienation from God. He has made a way to be atoned for, cleansed, and reconciled to the Father. From the Gospels, to the Epistles, to the letters, to the book of Revelation, the themes of the week of Passover are central in the messages. Passover, really in many ways, is the big opening of the revelation of what the plan of salvation is all about. Even Holy Communion, think about this for a minute. Even Holy Communion, which was established in Jesus' final Passover Seder and is the number one unifier of all believers, Catholic, Protestant, and Messianic, is rooted forever in and extricably tied to Passover. Keep in mind that this superlative uniter emphasizes his death, not resurrection, but emphasizes his death until he comes again. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul speaking to the Corinthians of this last Seder that Yeshua shared with his apostles. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It's in that Seder that he establishes or inaugurates, I should say, inaugurates the new covenant, the long-awaited covenant that Jeremiah prophesied was coming, Jesus said, it's here. I am the inauguration of that new covenant. My blood poured out is the blood of the new covenant. And then it goes on to say, for as often as you eat this bread, slide 67, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Emphasis mine. Okay, what are we proclaiming? What are we emphasizing? The Lord's death until he comes. Not the Lord's resurrection. The central theme is not the resurrection. It's important. It's core, but it's not the central. The central is the death of Jesus. It's all about the death of Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's his blood poured out that secures the atonement for the forgiveness of our sins. The resurrection does not provide the basis for our forgiveness. The death does. That's why we celebrate Passover. It is the big celebration that marks and highlights that our sins are paid for through the death, the outpoured blood of Messiah on our behalf. His life poured out as a payment for our sins. So as often as we do this, this the new covenant, holy communion, that all of us as believers, regardless of our denominational backgrounds, we all share in this. It unites all of us. It's the big unifier, right? This big core practice we all do is to proclaim the death, not the resurrection, the death of the Lamb of God for the forgiveness of our sins. This is also why we keep the Shabbat. The weekly Shabbat has many purposes, one which commemorates weekly 
the annual memorial to the Passover exodus. It's brilliant when you think about it. God is so wise, right? How he keeps us together, united, and in the place of blessing is just mind-boggling at times. But we have this annual Passover that we do in every generation till Jesus comes to remind us who we are and our great deliverance and who God is and how he saved us out of Egypt, right? How he promised to us this redemption. This is so important. We do this every year. It engages the five senses in a way that helps us to really process and, and bring into our lives the meaning and purpose of redemption. And then God says, oh, I want you to do this weekly thing too as a reminder of the Passover. Do weekly the reminder of the annual thing that you do to remind yourselves of who I am and what I did on your behalf. So where, where, where do we find this? Deuteronomy chapter 5, 12 through 15. God says to his people through Moses, those who he redeemed out of, out of Egypt, observe, observe the, the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Verse 15. You shall remember, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. When you keep Shabbat, it will remind you that you were once slaves in Egypt. The observance of Shabbat is meant to remind us that we were once slaves in Egypt. Practicing Shabbat reinforces in our hearts and our minds that God is our Redeemer, our Savior, who saves us out of darkness, brings us into his kingdom of light. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. This Shabbat we do week in and week out is designed to remind us who we are, we are the people of God whom he has redeemed out of Egypt, even our own Egypts, from sin and shame. This is why we keep Shabbat. It's tied into the Passover event, which is the origins of redemption. Can I get an amen? amen. I know there's some Pentecostals in here. Okay. Our next slide. Catholics and Protestants emphasize his resurrection which they call easter and they then take the day of his resurrection sunday and observe it weekly grown up as a catholic devout catholic practicing catholic i really appreciated the wisdom of the church and how they really garnered the unity that they have through sunday worship and I thought this is brilliant because really they're taking such an important part of Jesus's life, the resurrection from his death, right? Powerful in every way, powerful, important in every way. And because that took place on a Sunday, the church found their motivation to say, this is the main reason why we keep Sunday. 
Because on Sunday, we want to commemorate every week his resurrection until he comes. And I thought, man, that's brilliant how they tied that together and how that then, you know, resonates in our hearts. And that's why we do what we do. I thought it was brilliant. And it is on a human level. They got that from God, who had already did that. But he tied in the Passover event, the death of the lamb, and the death of his son into the Shabbat. So as brilliant as that was, it wasn't God who commanded it. We made that up. God already did that with a different day. Tying in the weekly Shabbat with the theme of redemption is revealed in the Passover back in Moses' day. That's very important for us to understand. So why did the church do this? Well, there's a lot of different reasons, some of which are even understandable. Doesn't mean they're right, but understandable. One of the reasons they did this was designed, it was designed to identify themselves as separate from Israel. So early on, in the first couple centuries, the church begins, or the Gentiles begin to move away from Jewish believers and Jewish unbelievers. They begin to move away from Israel. And as it heats up and more and more pressure comes against Israel from Rome, right? Persecution from Rome. Uh, Gentile believers wanted to make sure that they weren't confused as being part of Israel. After all, if you're keeping Shabbat and Passover and so forth, Rome's just going to consider you Jewish. And so as a result, they began to separate themselves from the Jewish people, and they abandoned the Torah as a way of life, and they adopted Roman values, Roman traditions, Roman holy days. They just Christianized them in order to demonstrate to Rome that we are good, safe patriots of Rome, good Roman citizens, to really, by and large, escape persecution. That was one of the reasons they did that. In doing that, what they did is they ensured their separation from Israel, God's chosen people. Now, a lot of water under the bridge since that time. But there's an awakening that's happening across the denominational barriers. People are waking up. They're beginning to realize that Jesus was a Jew. That's been a big shock last 30, 40 years. This has rocked evangelicalism, the Reformed camps, Catholic camps. Jesus is a Jew. You know, it's interesting that Pope John Paul II was the first pope ever to go to the Western Wailing Wall. Yeah, for all those centuries, they had abandoned Jerusalem as the holy city of God. They saw themselves as the new Israel the new Jerusalem, the new chosen people, the new wife of God, if you will. And all of a sudden, 40, 50 years ago, a new Pauline perspective rose up among new scholars that began to say we need to reinterpret the words of Jesus through the lens of Jesus, through the first century Jewish people, through their culture, their background, their grammar, rather than through the lens of the reformers. One of the first books written by a Catholic Jewish scholar at Cambridge was Jesus the Jew. Geza Verms wrote Jesus the Jew, and it shocked and rocked all of Christianity, reverberating even to this very day. People are waking up. 
Jesus was a Jew. He didn't start a new religion. Now, what he was was the leader of the sect of the Nazarenes, which was viewed as a sect within Judaism. He didn't start a new religion. And that God has not rejected his people. Paul says that clearly in Romans 9, 10, 11, and 9, 10, and 11. Yeah, 9 through 12, I think. I think specifically in chapter 10. God has not rejected his people. Well, if he hasn't rejected his people, what does that mean? Does he have two people? Two wives? Is he a bigamist? All of a sudden, people are starting to re-evaluate what they think about Jesus, salvation, and the Jewish people. The Gentiles who believe in Jesus are somehow connected to his people Israel. A closer read of Paul, especially in Ephesians and Romans, demonstrates that God only has one people, that the Gentiles are actually grafted into that people. Paul calls it the mystery of the gospel that he said no one really understood until God revealed it to him. This is blockbuster stuff. As a result, more and more churches are beginning to celebrate Passover. The amount of churches celebrating Passover has just risen dramatically over the last 20, 30 years. Everyone's jumping on this bus back to the first century to understand what Jesus was saying all along, to understand what the Torah is all about, to understand what our inheritance and heritage really is. So let's jump on the bus, right? The kingdom bus and journey back to the ancient paths wherein lies the blessings. I believe this is a sign of the great end time return to the Jewish King of Kings and Lord of Lords and to his royal law. That very law that has been what? Thrown under the bus, forsaken, neglected, sometimes even rejected. I believe that what's happening is God is turning the hearts of every one of his Gentile believers back to the Jewish people, specifically the Jewish believer and to Jerusalem, to the promises made to Israel. Because in the end, that's where he's coming, back to Jerusalem. And he's gathering the nations and pulling them in and they're relating to his people. And this is the story of redemption. So let's talk about Passover now and we'll get more into this in the future. But let's talk about Passover as an, an, an identity issue. This is all about identity. And this is really, really, you know, permeated our society, even the world today. It's all about identity issues, identity politics. You know, it's just almost everywhere you turn in every realm of society. But think about this for a moment. Passover was, in, was instituted approximately 3,500 years ago. That's a long time ago. That's, that's an ancient practice, right? And part of the design of Passover is to keep God's people holy and true to who God made them to be. Everything today is spiraling out of control. It's crazy, fell out there. Identity issues are being attacked in unprecedented ways. I feel like I'm living in a mass cultural phenomenon of mental illness. 
Do you, do, you, do, you feel like, do you feel like you're losing your foot sometimes? I mean, it's like a mass psychosis where you're just like, what do they call that? Where they tell you something over and over and over, and then you believe it? Gas, it's like gaslighting on a societal level. And it just goes on long enough to where all of a sudden you start to feel a little bit like you too are kind of like losing your footing a little bit, you know? It's like crazy. It's like, I don't know about you, but you hang around people that are mentally ill long enough and you start like, you know, it, it, it's called transference, you know, and it starts to create this phenomenon of unrest and unsettling even in you as well. So, yeah, these are big issues that are all around us. Who are you, right? What are you? What is your gender after 80-something plus possibilities? I can't even... <laughs> What are you? What is your gender? What is your sex? God's not surprised. He knew all of this was coming. This is the plan of the enemy to pervert his design. So God says, I'll give you a definition of who you are. I'm the creator. I know. I know these things. I'm the expert. I fact-checked it. So he made us in his image. He made us what? God imagers. We're made in the image of God. We have this status called God imager. It's a status of who we are. And that status comes in two genders, male and female. He said, let us make man in our image, in our image and likeness. So he made us male and female. And both male and female carry the status God imager. And he gave us his ways so that we could stay in the place of reality and in the place of blessing. You see, reality brings blessing. And when you veer from reality and change that and warp that, you end up in a place of misery, confusion and misery. So God gave us his ways. He says, what? Keep my commandments. Put your trust in my son. Everything's going to be okay. So if we keep his ways and trust in his son, we will not be shaken. We will we'll not be turned to the right or to the left. We're going to remain constant. It's a call to per persevere, right? It's a call to be patient, be consistent, stay the course, and you'll make it through bizarro land. I feel like, I don't know, you got to be old like me, but Lakeside, remember Lakeside and the fun house and the crazy woman out in the front? <laughs> you know, it was kind of scary as a kid, you know? Yeah, our, our world and our nation specifically has become the fun house. It's like the fun, it's not the United States of America, it's the United House of Fun at Lakeside, I guess, I don't know. It's crazy though, it's crazy. God says, you stay the course, you stay faithful, Put your faith in my son and walk in my ways and you will not be shaken. Passover is one of those ways. One of the ways that he safeguards reality, what is true, giving us peace and happiness. Again, it's an identity issue. By observing it, the Passover, the week of Passover, our identity is formed 
strengthened and shaped. See, what you do, what you do reinforces what you believe about yourself. And what you believe about yourself, you'll express in your actions, your values, your way of life. Exodus 12, verse 14. Now this day, speaking of Passover, and specifically the week, you have to get more into the text, we'll do that later. Now this day will be a memorial to you. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. It's going to be a party. It's a festival. It's a celebration. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. How long? Throughout your generations. That's a long time. As long as there is a generation before us, we're supposed to do this. You say, yes, but I'm not Jewish. Why do you then believe in a Jewish Messiah? Why do you follow a Jewish Messiah? You're not Jewish, so quit following him. But if you find some way to figure out how you can follow a Jewish Messiah, there should be no problem following his Jewish ways. Right? The lie of the enemy is, you're not Jewish, so none of this is for you. And that's why the book rocked Christianity 40 years ago, Jesus the Jew. Because once you understand that he is a Jew, you got to answer the bigger question. Well, if I don't have to follow Jewish things because I'm not Jewish, why would I believe in Jesus seeing he is Jewish? And it gets even more problematic. Jesus states in Matthew 5, 24, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'm sorry, let me restate that. I missed one word. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's problematic. That's, that's almost offensive. When sending out his 12 apostles, he instructs them in Matthew chapter 10, 5 and 6, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, problematic. John 4, he tells the Gentile woman, salvation is of the Jews. It's to the Jews, it's from the Jews, it's of the Jews, it's Jewish. After it's offered to the Jews, of course, it will then be offered to the Gentiles. But you don't get that until you get back into Pauline theology. Why? Because as Paul states, it's to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. So initially, it's a very Jewish thing. And once it's established among the Jews, those Jewish believers, who is that Jewish church, then it opens up so the Gentiles can what? Have their own Gentile church? Their own Gentile tree? No, 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 no. It's already established a Jewish church. Now the Gentiles can come in and be grafted into this Jewish olive tree and brought into this Jewish church to the flock of God, the people of God, and become one with them. Jew and Gentile, one new man. That's revolutionary when you think about it, right? Jesus alludes to this in John chapter 10, 11 through 16. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired man. And is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. How many 
Good shepherds are there? Only one. I'm the good shepherd. If there's only one shepherd, how many flocks are there? One flock. Who is that flock? When you look at the theme of good shepherd in the Torah, who's the flock? Israel. That is the flock that God gathered. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Even the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Blockbuster, verse 16. I have other sheep. Can you imagine the Jewish here? Reverse that now. Here you are if you're part of Israel, right? You're thinking you're the people of God. And then you hear the Messiah says, I have other people. It's like, what? We may have other, we're the people. I mean, what good is it being chosen if in the end everyone else is chosen too? Not very special in the end, is it? But what God promised Abraham was not only the salvation of the physical descendants of Jacob, but that he would also bless all the nations and bring them into this redemption. The inclusion of the Gentiles. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must make them a fold too. I'm sorry, that might be Reformed theology. Let me go back to the text. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice and they will become one flock. One flock with one shepherd. I'm going to gather the other ones that are yet gathered to those already gathered so they can be one flock. And I as the one shepherd will be good to them. This is revelatory stuff. I'm telling you right now. If it wasn't, all the churches would already be jumping into this. But it's something that's revelatory. It's something that has to be revealed. And if, if people's hearts and, and minds are just like against all this stuff, they won't see it, even if it's right in front of them. Exodus 13, 9. And it, the observance of the week of Passover, and it shall be a sign or so sh shall serve as a sign to you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a powerful hand, the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Hmm. God says this is a memorial in every generation for my people. The Gentiles and Messiah are grafted into his people. Therefore, the memorial is for Gentile believers as well. Why? Because they need to know about redemption. They need to understand it. They need to appreciate what Yeshua, the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb of God has done. And by doing it, it serves as a sign to you on your hand. Doing the Passover becomes a spiritual mark that's identifiable in the spirit realm for all who do it. A sign on the hand? Huh, isn't that interesting? Doesn't the Bible say something about a sign on your hand in the book of Revelation, right? These are identifying marks. And as a reminder on your forehead, on your hand and on your forehead, are we in the book of Revelation? 
No, we're in Exodus, talking about the sign on our hand and the reminder on our forehead that the law of the Lord, the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a powerful hand, the Lord brought you out of Egypt. (sighs) Passover, I belong to God. I'm in covenant with him. I've put my trust in the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in doing so, I am marked out, identified as being a part of the chosen people, Israel, a Gentile in Israel, with Jews in Israel. Together, one new man. I wear my tassels. Why do I wear my tassels? Why do I wear these? They're a reminder that the law of God has not been done away with. The law of God is a way of life for all of us, that in keeping the commandments of God, we stay the course, being seen as the people of God throughout the world. That's why all of this is so important. It keeps us from spinning out of control, becoming mentally ill, and then saying, we are what we're not. I can't even really say it, right? Because get banned on YouTube. There goes our live streaming. But we all know what I'm saying. So can you give me an amen? Amen. All right. Verse 10. Exodus 13, verse 10. Therefore, you shall keep this ordinance at its appointed time from year to year. So next week, as I develop this, I'm going to talk more about uh, what it means to keep Passover. How do we do that today? What does that look like today? Obviously, we can't even do it because the command is you do it in the city limits of Jerusalem. Can't do it outside Jerusalem. And the Levitical priests have to be the ones that sacrifice your lamb as you eat it that night within the city limits. Obviously, no one's doing that. We'll talk next week how we still do that, why we still do that, even as unbelieving Jews and believing Jews, and what the difference are in our seders today as we do those things today that God commanded us to do in every generation.